Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The problem with so many interviews is that they come across as interrogations. I have a list of questions I must get through in the allotted time, so let us begin. Depending on the circumstances, that's sometimes the route you have to take. But there's nothing more human than sitting down for a simple chat. If you can get some people in a room and just get them talking, then everyone forgets that they're being interviewed for something and the answers just flow. They get into a groove and start remembering things and telling stories that aren't included in any official bios or Wikipedia entries. This is the whole purpose of these occasional episodes I call In Their Own Words. Not only do we learn about the artist, but we get to see them as proper human beings. We get to really know them in ways we otherwise might not. And that's fantastic. I had a chance to chat with Ian Thornley. He is one of Canada's great guitar players. He's a great session guy, great performer. Let's hear more of what he had to say. This is Ian Thornley, in his own words, part two. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Ian Thornley and the first version of Big Wreck, that's Ladylike from the second album, The Pleasure and the Greed, released in the summer of 2001. Hi there, I'm Alan Cross, and this is part two of my In Their Own Words talk with Ian. The first half went really deep into the early years of his career and those first two Big Wreck albums. But that first version of the band was done by 2002. Why? Well, let's pick up the conversation. So when does that band end? Probably 0102, somewhere in there. What did you do after that? Just kept writing. Um, just did the Thornley thing, you know. But that wasn't... When did that actually... 03, 04. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I think I got married in there. I I, I moved to, back to Toronto and had gotten married and, and had a writing room in Toronto. That's where I met Seku and then, the, you know, the whole Thornley thing had started. Well, there, you had the first Thornley record, um, which is Come Again. 2004, mm-hmm. and then there's a five-year break before Tiny Pictures comes yeah. out. What were you doing during that five-year break? Uh, whatever, whatever I could. Um, Which means what? You know, you're a professional. I'll take, taking taking gigs whenever I can get them. Um, taking a run, taking a tour whenever I can get it. Uh, doing whatever I can. I, that deal 
I mean, there's some people in, within that deal that I that I have a lot of love for, and that I consider family. Um, and there are some people that I absolutely hate that are just bad people. You know, I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, not that anybody would even know who I'm talking about. Now, are we talking about the peri- the, the the band Thornley period? Yeah, there are there are some there are some. There's some just just some you know, and that's again, that's one of the things that that you learn along the way. It's like, oh, I get it. Oh, were people trying to take advantage of you? Oh, were big they... time. And I actually remember a phone conversation where where I was. Ah, I mean, I'm not pointing fingers, um, but but there was yeah, there was a phone conversation that was had where where it just really dawned on me, and I still I remember it like it was yesterday, and this had to be. Oh five, oh six, when it was like, well, why, you, you, why aren't you doing this? Because if it, this simple move and you make this call, then we get this money and I can make this record and then we can go do this. And the U.S. wants us to do this. Why won't you do that? Like this is my child. I need, I need to pay for her clothes here, man. And the quote was, "I don't give a fuck about your child." And it was like, wow, that's the, that's from you know. Okay. Yeah, and this is this is by no means someone that I thought was a friend. This is somebody who who I was in business with, and I, I was like, "Wow, that's amazing!" These that's are the amazing. things that, that that a lot of music fans don't ever hear about is the stuff yeah. that goes on behind the scenes. They think that you know, uh, first of all, they think the music is a meritocracy, and if it's good, it'll rise to the top. Yeah, that's not necessarily true. And then there's you know what happens when you don't have an album cycle happening, or you're on the road. You have to deal with, you know, to quote Joni Mitchell, the star-making machinery behind the popular song. Yeah, um, yeah, and this is like, you know, I mentioned like earlier, I mentioned like Nickelback, and I'm like, I, I shouldn't lump him in with like, like Chad. I think is really quite brilliant at what he does, and like I said before, it's just not what I do. But um, having said that, he he. I, and I've worked a lot with the guy, and, and he's a like he's a like a family member to me. He's a very close guy, a very close friend. Um, but the way that he works is very different than the way that I work. And when you have that kind of success working one way, that's the way that you do it. And there's people that are around something something like that, a, a hit like that, or a success like that. There are a lot of people that are around it, and that's you know some of those people who. Well, follow that, and and th- that's the way to do it. And then you're not doing it that way. And it's like, wait a minute, man, because that's not coming from chat. It's coming from other people. Now, what's, um, what I'm finding interesting is, is is that this is your child, your baby. Yeah. And the conviction that you have in protecting your baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is is not something that you see in a lot of musicians because they're. It's it's not that they're sellouts. It's not that they're. Uh, you know, subject to all kinds of, you know, manipulation. It's that, okay, if I want to make a living, yeah. I'm going to have to do this. But, you know, that didn't matter. Well, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's, it's still, I mean, I, even with all this coronavirus stuff going on, I'm like, man, am I, it's going to happen. Like this summer, I'm going to have to get a job at Long McQuaid. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> I still I still think like that, you know. Um it's it's I have a, I have a uh, eleven month old at home that you know he he's he eats a lot of food man. <laughs> <laughs> he eats more than I do and I, I you know it's it's uh, these are all they're they're constantly there these worries are constantly there 
And even even before I had kids, um, there was always a not a, not necessarily like I'm not I'm not doing enough I'm not measuring up that kind of thing. But definitely there's a there's a self motivating mechanism in there that that's not necessarily has to do with the art of it. It has to do with like well man this is well practicalities. This could, yeah, it's a, a, like the spinning a plate. It, it's like this is this could go at any time. It's not like you're getting into the corporate world and just sort of following a, you know, right. a path. After Big Rec version 1.0 broke up, Ian moved back to Toronto, where he found work as a session player. If you look in the liner notes for albums by Nickelback and Sarah Harmer and Stephen Fearing, you'll see his name. His relationship with Chad Kruger of Nickelback led him to signing with 604 Records out of Vancouver. And this was the beginning of a brand new band simply called Thornley, with a brand new lineup with the exception of Brian Doherty on guitar, who was a holdover from Big Wreck. The debut from this new group was called Come Again, and it was released on May 11th, 2004. The title track was a huge single on Canadian radio, too. Ian Thornley working in his post-Big Wreck band Thornley from 2004. That debut album, Come Again, earned two Juno nominations and at least four singles made it to radio. There were more tours and a second album was scheduled for release, but then a very weird opportunity came up. Ian was offered the chance to be the singer and frontman of a new American supergroup. We'll get him to tell that story next. This is part two of an In Their Own Words program with Ian Thornley. Just as his solo band was gaining momentum, he got a phone call. And it's not the kind of phone call you would expect. You you had a, an opportunity to make bank mm-hmm. in a really big way. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know how big it would have been. Well, it's certainly more than, yeah. Okay, so let's set this up. Um, <coughs> Scott Weiland is the singer of Velvet Revolver. Mm-hmm. Scott Weiland is either fired from or quits Velvet Revolver. The other guys in the band want to keep Velvet Revolver happening because uh, at this point, the idea of Guns N' Roses getting back together is completely out of the question. So they went through a very long period of time, which is still going on, apparently. Really? Have they got a new singer? (laughs) Uh, Looking for a guy to replace Scott Weiland. And somehow... Your name came up. So let's go through that story because I find I, I, this is fascinating. Yeah. Well, um, they, they did twice. The first time, I, I think it was through management and stuff like that or, or label or something. But I remember getting a CD right before the first Thornley record came out. I got a CD with three cuts on it, um, just instrumental tracks. And I was like, wow, this Thornley record's about to drop. So, you know, I'm not going to. I didn't pay too much attention to it, and I'm like, I'm sure they're going to get somebody, you know. And that, and then they got Wyland. Right. Um, oh, wait, so you were considered... I pre... I guess so. Because I do remember getting a CD um, with, like, three sort of uh, bed tracks, riffs and, and bass and guitars. Before Wyland signed up. Before Wyland, and I was like, they're going to get somebody that, you know... And then, and then I was, and then I heard that it was Scott, and I was like, "Oh, that's going to be great!" Of yeah. course, um, what a what a front guy, you know? Oh, no, no like kidding. That's that's what you need. Like that guy's, you can't take your eyes off him. 
And then, yeah, when it came around again, I was... Which would have been after the second album and that blow up yeah, in Scotland. It was sort of, it was sort of in, in, in the, you know, and when you were like, what did you do in those, in those years? And I think I had just finished, I was in Nashville finished, doing the finishing, finishing touches on the second Thorny record with Nick. And Scott Gorman, the, is it Scott Gorman? The drummer from uh, Black Crows. Great drummer. Um, I was there and then got the call from uh, them. Or No, we'd gotten the call a week earlier, and it was like, okay. I'd sent down the, the demo. Like, they'd send... The, the, the phone call came from Slash. I was driving back from a gig or something. Oh, and, and the, the phone like, rings, and it's Slash. Yeah, and then the <laughs> wife was like, um, I got a call from uh, Slash. I was like, what? Cool. Um so yeah, I got home and I called him up and he was like, well, yeah, let me send you some stuff. And then, um, okay, it was something like that. How do you suppose they heard about. about you? I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, because if, if, if you're slashing it's, 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 Duff and, 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 and yeah. I mean. No, when they knew, they knew a lot. Like Duff knew all kinds of, like he knew about Berkeley. And I was like, wow, man, like these guys are. But I guess it, it's uh, you know I was surprised when I when I left there. I mean, at the end of the story is that it didn't really work because like they they wanted like a you know David Lee Roth, Scott Weiland, you know a Peacock, and and I'm like I need a guitar to you know. Yeah, but we got a guy in a top hat that's playing guitar for us. So yeah, uh, exactly. It's you know I'm not gonna. It it just it it wouldn't have worked. I mean, it, uh, musically it worked, vibe wise it worked. The, the chemistry the, everything was there it was all great so uh, but it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been the package that they're you know so did you you must have gone down to LA to rehearse and, and yeah we just went into you know whatever you know Slash had full touring rig going it was great man it was like wow you had three full stacks on I was like to rehearse yes <laughs> dude and he was chain puffing and, and it was like it was like this is this is awesome these these guys are for real and they were all really really sweet and articulate and cool and down to earth and and I was just like well it's just like any of us just like any band of guides it's like we're all kind of we all kind of fall into certain roles um, and this was no different you know they were they were no different it was it was really nice to see that it wasn't it wasn't the reality show whatever that I had imagined it would be like they were just like real dudes they were real normal guys like any other band that I'd toured with before because but because you have your child mm -hmm. you're, you're your baby uh, and you were used to calling the shots and playing guitar you just yeah. decided that it wasn't I don't think it would, calling the shots would really have anything to do with it. I wouldn't go into that saying, "Dude, we're going to do some of my songs." You know, slash. Why don't you let me take the solo on this one? It wasn't anything like that. It was just like, I don't mind. I'll do the gig. Um, I, I'm not that comfortable doing the whole, you know, front guy tambourine thing. It's just not for me. Um, oddly enough, like Miles, who sings with Slash all the time, and, and Miles and I go way back, and and we suffer from the same affliction. We're guitar players first and singers second. And this is Miles Kennedy. Miles Kennedy. Um, but you know, he got over it, obviously, because he does he does that now all the time. Like he's Mister. He doesn't need to have the guitar in his hands. Like he'll do the, you know, pointing the mic at the audience, all the all the moves. You know, those sort of. Uh, I don't see are they, are they shtick? Sure, but they're not for me, man. I don't. I, I, don't pull I just that don't shit. see you doing it. Uh, no. no offense. And you know, just... if you can, if you can get away with it, why not? Just in case you don't remember Velvet Revolver, here's a sample. The first album was self-titled, and this is Slither.
crazy story about Ian Thornley and Velvet Revolver, right? Just one of those, it's one of those great what if situations. Next stop in all this is the Tiny Pictures album. This was the second album released under the name Thornley and came out five years after the first one, February 2009. Most of the material on this record had been around for years, but with so much else going on, including touring with Nickelback, Three Days Grace, and Lenny Kravitz, there just wasn't any time. Pretty much every part of this album was played by Ian himself, although there were a few songwriting collaborations. This song, for example, was co-written with David Genn, who would work with both Matt Good and 5440. It's called Make Believe. So this is what it feels like running through my lines and never to pretend they're a fine. It's just a waste of time. This is what it feels like when the hero dies. To the next one funny time Make Believe from the second Thornley album, Tidy Pictures. But that was also the last Thornley record. Let's get back to my talk with Ian. So there were there were a couple of Thornley records. There was Come Again, Tiny Pictures in mm-hmm. 2009. Somewhere around in there, we have the Velvet Revolver experience. Yeah. Uh, and then we end up with Big Rec version 2.0. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember having a discussion with somebody somewhere around 2010, 2011, about Canadian bands that we wish could get back together because they didn't completely fulfill their potential. Mm-hmm. Because they weren't around long enough. And I think I Mother Earth came up. I think um, Lowest of the Low came up. And Big Rec certainly did come up. Cool. Uh, and then all of a sudden, there's there's Big Rec version two. Yeah. How did that come about? Um, while we were doing a, a Thornley tour, um, and Brian and I had, had sort of reconnected. Brian was, was initially going to be the other guitar player in Thornley. And then the sort of, um, let's call it the grown-ups, the, the people on the other side of the desk were like, eh, it's too much like Big Wreck if Brian's around. And I was like, oh, shit. you know. Um, all right. So the so, the idea was to make Thornley a separate sort of yeah, thing very from Big Wreck. very different. So anyway, um, and I'm, I'm sure, as, as you can imagine, that, that probably added some strain to the relationship um, among, you know, all, all the other ones of, of the whole whatever was left of Big Rack after it. So, yeah, we'd sort of, you know, maybe on around Christmas we'd touch base, you know, once a year or whatever. But we sort of, you know, I, I remember just call, kind of calling him up out of the blue because I'd missed him and I was, you know, I just missed that sort of connection and... Um, without even, you know... Was he living in New York still? Nope. He had married a Canadian girl in, in Sarnia. So he's living in Sarnia. Um, and then I was we were playing a Thornley show down near um, down near Sarnia. And I was like, well, why don't you come out to the show and we'll say hey. So he came out to the show and we hung out and it was... Uh, it was really great, you know. It was, uh, it was a good vibe. And then... Uh, I think it was at that show, Paulo, who was the guitar player in Thornley at the time, Paulo was like, oh, by the way, that gig in Edmonton, I'm not going to be there um, as I'm going on my honeymoon in Portugal with, with... And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, Gee, do I know any guitar players? Yeah, and it was it was literally one of those. Brian was right there. I was like, Brian, you want to come play a Thornley show? We can just throw like more big rec numbers in if you want. He was like, sure. And that was it. We did the gig, and uh, Jeff Burroughs from the Tea Party was actually our, our drummer at the time. Uh, oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We did, I don't know how many shows, but we did a few shows with JB. Um, so we went out and did the gig in, uh, in Edmonton, and that was, it, was, it was weird. Because I remember looking over, and I was like, this feels normal. 
Um, it felt it didn't. I was like, this is going to feel really weird because I'm I'm so used to Paulo being there. You know, Paulo's doing his thing, and then and I look over and it's not Paulo. It's Brian doing his thing. I was like, yeah, like it's it's. It was almost like he'd never left. Well, that was a ten year gap. Yeah, it was very weird, um, but not weird. It's it's hard to explain. But uh, so anyway, the idea from that show, the idea to like, what if we did a tour where we do. Uh, a set of Thornley stuff, and then we bring Brian out. And we do a set of Big Rec stuff, right. and then when, while we were in rehearsals to do that, we just kind of kept doing things as a five piece. So that we did that tour with the same five people on stage for both sets, and it was awesome. And I was like, dude, I, all flushing out all the guitar parts at once live. Two great guitar players, sort of um, flanking me like that it was just the sound was huge. Um, and then that was, you know, we went in to go do a record, and we were essentially going in to do a Thornley record. But we were now with uh, SRO Anthem, and, you know, Ray and Andy were basically like... This is Russia's uh, yeah, management company. Yeah, and, and they were like, well, now that we got you away from those people, um, do do what you want. Go do what you want to do. We're not going to say, it has to be like this. It has to be like that. Do you, a hit sounds like, the, you know. Yeah. They were like, no, no, no. Go do you. Go do art. Go do music. Let's see how far you can push it. So I just kind of went in and did whatever we do. And we got Eric Ratz to, to you know, man the board. And he knows how to get the sounds that I like to hear. And, and he knows how to do it beautifully. So we just kind of did something very easy, natural. It was a very easy thing to make. And then somebody came up with the idea. It might have been Nick Rasky Lennox, who's the executive producer, I guess we'll call him. Um, he was like, man, you should call it a big rec record, man. I was like, well, it's only Brian and I are the original guys. Doesn't He's matter. Like, Whatever, man, you're singing. Um, that's that's my, my really bad Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, he... Uh, so, and, and then somebody put a sticker on the track sheet, a big rec sticker on the track sheet, and it was like... You know, the more you sat with it, it was like, I mean, it kind of has that sound. It sounds like the first record, like the demos that we made when there weren't any suits in the room saying, well, that actually, um, the statistics say that a hit should essentially, you should hit the chorus before, you know, all that shit. It was just like, we're just making music here. And, you know, just to be back to doing that, that's the sound you get. We get to the Albatross album, mm -hmm. and uh, the Albatross is uh, an unlucky bird. Mm-hmm. Why would you call an album after an I, unlucky bird, dude? I just named a, I just named the album after the song. <laughs> like I, you know, I know about the whole Coleridge thing and all that, but it, I, and honestly, like as I was writing the song Albatross, the the word just fell into my lap, and I was like, I'll wear the Albatross for one more day. I was like, okay. Um, I can't help thinking a, about John Cleese walking through the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, Albatross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It just I never really consider any of that stuff i'm just sorry I, and and when it comes to naming an album like um generally we just pick a title off the of one of the songs except for in loving memory and and but for the sun i think those are the only two that were where we didn't do that The music industry of Big Rec version 1.0 mm. was very different from what you had oh, to yeah. deal with Big Rec yeah. version 2.0. I mean, being wine and dine by Ahmed Erdogan has its ups. That was Back awesome. in the day, yeah. That was great. Yeah. Um, but not having to worry about... Um, did, did you actually go out for dinner with Ahmed Erdogan? 
yeah, I mean, I, I was brought up to his. Uh, I was brought up to his office by Craig Kalman. Wow. And and they were like, you know, Ahmed was sitting there and they were playing him the tunes. He's like, who's a guitar player? And they were like, he is. He's like, I thought you were the singer. And he's like, he is too. That's him, same guy. He was like, great guitar player. He's like, thanks, man. <laughs> and he's like, and then he's just kind of sitting there. And Craig's like, why don't you tell him the uh, tell him the Stone story? Give him the Stone story. He's like, which one? And then he so he told me the great story about when you know they were in the south of France and there was bowls of cocaine going around and the chief of police in the little town where they were all staying comes to the party that they're at. And he's like, "What's what's that?" And then they start taking it all and putting it on their <laughs> face, like it's like they're just like the, like they were doing like it's powder makeup. Yeah, they're like no, no, no. It's just. Uh, I was like, "Wow!" And then he gave me some Zeppelin stories, and you know, and he'd come to a couple shows. Like he, when we were in New York, he'd come out. He always had always have like six foot um, bookend model gals with him on either arm. He was a little guy. Little little Turkish guy. Little guy. Bald, but finely uh, manicured mustache and, and goatee all the time, perfectly. Uh, and he always had these giant Amazonian gorgeous women with him who were, you know, the rest of the band, all the band guys are like, dude, you know, it was one of those. Uh, but yeah, no, that was, that was great. This is something else. This is just like, you know, all that, we got to ride in a limo, all that. It's just like, you know, that's when you're 20, it's fine. Yeah. Now I just want to make music that, so, that counts, you know. Give me your favorite Big Wreck or Thornley recorded mm. performance. What what song can you go back to again and again and again and say, you know what? I did that good. Was, that was nice. Um, all the, well, there's, I mean, I can't, I couldn't really pick just one. Like each record, I think, has special moments for, for different reasons. Um it's usually the songs that just kind of fall in your lap, and then you're just like, "Can I get away?" Like Wolves on on the Albatross record, I still, if I go and listen to that, I, I'll probably get disinterested. But if it comes on the radio, I'm like, "God damn, that was a," and it was just one of those just pop, put the guitar in a particular tuning. It was I think I was on the phone at the time, and my fingers just kind of found a shape, and I was like, and then the song kind of falls into your lap, and I'm like, "This is a pretty simple." straightforward like down the middle of the road song for us but i'm like but the vocal range wise it's sort of up near the top like it's up in the higher register and just there's something sort of bittersweet and that sort of lilting uh i like that one um place to call home off a of ghost record i think there's a few on the last record i think alibi is you know alibi gets me you know it's i it's hard i could never just pick one Let's hear one of those songs. This is Wolves from the Albatross album. Version 2 of Big Wreck with Wolves, another single from the Albatross album from March of 2011. Not really a comeback record, but more of a reboot. When we come back, we'll go through what's happening with Big Rex since then, and we'll wrap up the conversation with Ian's road story that, uh, well, you'll see. This is the homestretch of an In His Own Words program with Ian Thornley. The second version of Big Wreck has stuck around for more than a decade, and there have been some fantastic successes. The Albatross album was nominated for a Juno. It was followed by Ghosts in 2014, 
and it too was nominated for a Juno. There was a detour back to the Thornley approach in 2015 when Ian recorded a solo album entitled Secrets, and then it was back to Big Wreck for the Grace Street album in 2017, after which came But For The Sun in 2019. Each album saw a lot of touring, and not all of them went off so well. Can you think of a road story <laughs> that you will be able to tell your children and grandchildren somewhere down the line? Children? Okay, maybe not. Um, I, I mean, there are so many. Um, okay, you're going to write an autobiography. What, what, what kind? What? Oh. I, I don't know. If you're going to write an autobiography, <laughs> what that, kind of story you want? Uh, it, think about it. You're talking 23 years of. <laughs> uh, well, I know that's a lot of stories, dude. Uh, that's a long time to be on the road. Uh, it is, but one that. If you were to write your autobiography, this would be the right. one that gets an excerpt. There you go. We're um, doing a Thornley tour. And I think we were in Edmonton, Calgary or Edmonton. And we had a film crew with us. Uh, I was a, a group of uh, students from Ryerson. Sweet kids, all of them. Mike, Mike Alfano is like, like president of... Apple Canada now. He's a, he's a hot shot. He's a great, great guy and is a friend to this day. Um, he was sort of in charge of uh, this. This They were in a, uh, an RV that followed the bus from show to show. But anyway, that's that's an aside. We had a, we, there was a group of cameras on the stage. And this is back in the day, everything was tuned really low, and I was running a lot of amps. So we'd blow the power a lot. And we were loud. So the power kept going out. I think it was a Halloween show, I want to say. But anyway, power kept going out. And so I'm trying to keep the audience engaged. Um, there's still a couple lights on the stage. I'm trying to keep the audience engaged. While they reset the breakers. Yeah. So I'm jumping around and sort of waving my arms and like jumping off the drum riser, whatever. Just like anything to sort of, you know, let's whoop it up. Row, row, row your boat, whatever you can. We just start the song again. Boom. Something else pops. So I'm I'm doing whatever, being a clown, trying to keep the audience with us. And during one of these jumps, um, my pants split open in the crotchal area. In these in these days, I didn't wear underwear. <laughs> this is real. So out pops. I don't know how much of what because I didn't see the footage, but it's on camera. But I was just like, oh my god! I just you know. Yeah, it was like five thousand people just saw my balls. I, you know, um, so here's the, the like the the best part is what are we going to do now? Because I'm like they're, they're split. It's maybe a four or five six inch split right there. Yeah, and I, you know I can't finish the performance without you know being arrested. So Timmy, who was on tour with us, is like my second dad. Um, he runs to. He's already on his way to the bus. He's sprinting to the bus to go and grab another pair of pants. <laughs> I, I'm off to stage right. I'm off the side of the stage, and there's like a group of people around me, um, sort of shoulder to shoulder, making this sort of barricade. <laughs> While Shane, who's my guitar tech, um, pulls out the gaffer tape and proceeds to start gaffer taping my pants. I was like, dude, don't, no, 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 no. Like, you're not putting duct tape down there. Um, so that's, how, and then oh, maybe, I don't know how much duct tape actually got on, and then Timmy finally showed up with another pair of pants. So I just kind of dropped trout, put those back on, <laughs> and then I made it, you know, 
Power was back. We finished the show. But there's a story for you. Yeah, there's there's video somewhere of, uh, you know, I don't know how much was, was revealed. Because when I landed from this jump, I remember, like, that felt, oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah. I know at the, at, at the very least the brain popped out. Like, my balls came out. I know that much. Um, I don't know how much of anything else was revealed. My thanks to Ian Thorley and his management team for making it possible for Ian to come in for this In His Own Words session. And I hope he got some insight into Ian, also his work and maybe how the music industry operates. We heard a lot about stuff that we don't normally see. Podcasts for ongoing history shows are available anywhere. If it serves up podcasts, it will include ongoing history shows. Download it will. And if you can, please rate and recommend. If you have a moment, check out my website, which is ajournalofmusicalthings.com. This is where you can go to get ready-made playlists for each episode. And you should also get the free daily newsletter. That way you'll never miss a story or a notification. Uh, what else? Okay, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And every email sent to alan at alancross.ca will be processed. Thanks to Adam for help engineering the interview. All other technical productions by Rob Johnston. Talk to you next time. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.